Uh, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their eyes. Jesus Christ was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why, why are you standing here? Why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. So summer break. Summer just ended. The routine um, has begun, right? The rat race has begun. Life has begun. School has begun. Everything has begun. Fall is on its way, and now we're thinking about holidays. But for us, summer break, um, in our school system in Arizona, summer break kind of almost ends the middle of July because you have, um, you have teachers who go back to, to work, but more importantly, you have to begin to prepare because at the beginning of August, at the end of July, school is about to begin. So you have to kind of think like, how am I going to prepare the best for, for these students, these kids of mine, to really um, be able to thrive? Well, my kids go to a charter school. They go to a uniform school. I hate it. Hate it. I'm not a fan of uniforms. I would love to just send them off in whatever clothing that they want to go in, um, as long as it's appropriate to school. Go. Enjoy life. But uniform schools are miserable because you as a parent have to get red, navy blue, or white polos. Red, navy, blue, or white polos. They can't have any insignia on them. They can't have any words on them. They can't have any flair on them. They can't have anything whatsoever. Just these three basic colors. Everybody and their mother is looking for these three basic colors in this world. I had to go to probably about 30 or 40 stores just to try to find like two polos for each one of my kids. Two, that's it. Because my kids happen to be the size that every kid known to man wears, it feels like. Like size six is like the common size that every kid wears in elementary school, it feels like. Uh, around like fourth grade through seventh grade. And then my eighth grader's skinny and, and lanky and tall. But she pretty much wears like a seven. And I could not find anything of these colors. So we went to every store. It was like finding or like looking for the elusive snow leopard. That's how it felt like, but in red, navy, blue, or white. And then on top of that, you, you can't just wear blue jeans. You have to wear, like, khaki. Everything has to be khaki, and everything has to be a certain length. It can't be too short, can't be too long, and it's got to be khaki pants, khaki shorts, khaki skirts. And then you really can't wear shoes that have any bright colors on them, and you can't go full out with, with shoes. You can't wear sandals. You can't wear flip-flops. I mean, that's kind of a given, right? But... I hate searching for uniforms. It's not enjoyable. But that's what we do in the middle of July. We are on a hunt for, for uniforms. And then, on top of that, uniforms, you get this beautiful shopping list from the teacher, don't you? Mm -hmm. That says what every child needs. Throw it away. Please. <laughs> Chuck it in the trash. Because your kids will, they need pencils. That's a given. They need paper. That's a given. They need markers. But do they need staplers and glue and scissors and protractors 
and I don't know, hammers. Like, the amount of things on this list, it's insanity. And then, like, I'm all for giving stuff to the teachers. I really am. My wife is a teacher. She needs stuff. But when your teacher asks for name brand items of Clorox and Lysol and cleaning products, that gets expensive. That gets costly. And they put that on every child's list. So these teachers, some of them have, like, closets full of a of stuff it's it's insane uh, please don't please don't buy that stuff they don't need name brand they just need the generic brand of of wipes and um lysol and hand sanitizer but that that is what my life consists of in the middle of, of july and summer break is that we have to get back once that break ends we have to get back into this routine back into this life get going get moving go forward right well, if you look at this verse of what we just read, that was what was going on with these men. These, these disciples, they were in this moment of summer for them. They were enjoying life with, the, with Jesus Christ. For six weeks, they had experienced his resurrection, and now all of a sudden, he was having this amazing moment of six weeks with his, his people. It was awesome. But he doesn't tell them that he was leaving. I hear an alarm. Ignore it. Weather alert. Oh, somebody's phone, yeah, with the weather alert. Okay, cool. That's cool. That's cool. But six weeks go by. And then Jesus all of a sudden says, I want you to be my witnesses in all of Judea, Samaria, Jerusalem, all these, all these places. From, from this very moment to the rest of the world, I want you to be my witnesses. And then he, he ascends up to heaven. And what do you find these guys? You find these guys in this posture staring up into the sky and staring just longingly saying, well, um, is he going to come back now? Where, where's, where, where'd he go? Why'd he go? Is he in the bathroom? Is he going to return? And the two angels show up. Angels show up and they say, men of Galilee, why are you standing here? You need to get moving. You need to get going. You need to, to not be just stuck in the mud and immovable in this moment. You need to get going and push through and do something of what God's called you to do. What does he call us to do? He says, you are called to be my witnesses, doesn't he? Be my witnesses. Be witnesses of who? Jesus Christ. What did the disciples experience with Jesus Christ? What did they witness with Jesus Christ? They saw Jesus heal the blind. They saw Jesus... Um, Heal the, the, the deaf. Those that could not hear all of a sudden heard the amazing um, rhythms of sound. And those that couldn't see, they all of a sudden saw shapes and bright colors and beauty. And those that couldn't walk, all of a sudden, they were not just walking, they were jumping and leaping and running. And all of a sudden, the muscles on their legs were popping out and they experienced movement again. And those that were starving, they all of a sudden were fed. And those that were, were ashamed and felt guilty and miserable in life, they, they felt freedom and they felt forgiveness and they felt mercy. And they felt joy. They felt the grace and favor of God. They saw people come back to life. Those that were in the tomb, those that were in the grave, all of a sudden breathing again and walking and having life. And I also think about the fact the biggest thing that they had witnessed with Jesus Christ was that he came back to life, right? They experienced his death, and then all of a sudden, three days later, he's alive again. How incredible is that they experienced so much with Jesus Christ, his, his desire and his love and his, his overwhelming urge for his creation. He loves his creation. 
He desires his creation. Do you think that we're witnesses? Do you think that, that we are, are witnesses of Jesus Christ? Even though we at moments get stuck and stand there and think, oh, we're just on break and we're, we're in this moment of pause. Well, now it's getting back into life. It's getting back into routine. And we are called to be witnesses. We're called to be um, the tellers of the gospel, of the story and the message of Jesus Christ. And we are, we've experienced Jesus Christ. Well, how have we experienced Jesus Christ? Well, we've seen babies born. We've seen people find jobs. We've seen finances all of a sudden appear out of nowhere and bills paid. We have seen people fed. We've seen marriages restored. We have seen automobiles given just randomly to individuals and gas that seems to last longer than expected and not breaking down. We've seen mercy given. We've seen forgiveness granted. We've seen how Jesus Christ has changed each and every single one of us. When we've experienced Jesus Christ, we experience all of that, and we are witnesses. We are tellers. We are proclaimers of who Jesus Christ is. And he says, you will be my witnesses. You were called to make a difference. Do you know that you're called to make a difference? I think make a difference is, is a kind of a buzzword statement, isn't it? I would say in the past 20 years, people have said, you can make a difference. We can change the world. You can make a difference. And I, I'm not ragging on those people. I'm not uh, complaining about those people. But don't you think it's a little bit vague? Well, what am I supposed to make a difference about? What am I supposed to do? Well, you say make a difference, and, and we all can make a difference, and you can make a difference over there, and you can make a difference over there, and you can make a difference over there. We use this language all of the time, but it's very vague because when I say make a difference, you could easily ask the question, well, make a difference for good, make a difference for bad, make a difference for myself, or make a difference for somebody else. You could run that list, right? But I think when we say make a difference, we are more of saying that we, uh, we're going to love one another, Right? So what, that's kind of what we say. Love, love. It's all about love, right? Love one another. Love one another. Love, that, that's all we, which the statement love is love, it's the stupidest thing in the world. <laughs> what does that even mean? Love is love. Uh, well, honestly, it's a slap in the face to God because God says God is love, right? So when we say love is love, we're just more of saying that, no, 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 it's not about God. It's about us being in action with with a few loving traits but but we can't deny that that loving one another is what we're called to do right we are all called to love one another we're called to uh be kind and generous and and humble and gracious and um caring well like those are things that we're all called to do and that's how you you love somebody it's an action that is is meant to uh care for an individual it's not an emotion it's an action and even in John 13, it says this. John 13, 34. There? No, not yet. Mike is listening to music back there, I think. I'm just kidding. <laughs> A new command I give you. Love one another. A new command I give you. Love one another. I think that when you look at this, this verse, that's where it stops. We, we don't read the rest of that verse. We just stop there and say, okay, 
I got it, God. That is what I'm called to do. I'm going to be a witness, and I'm going to make a difference, and I'm going to love other people um, with, with kindness and gentleness and care and, and generosity and humility, and I'm going to go above and beyond with these actions of love. But it doesn't stop there, does it? Because this is what you saw a minute ago. Show the next one. That's the rest of the verse. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. As I have loved you is key and crucial to that verse. Because we could easily say love one another, and I know what that means, but when you say love one another as Jesus Christ has loved me, that makes it way bigger of a ballgame. That makes it way more intense. That makes it way more than me, doesn't it? Because most of the time when I say I'm going to love one another, I'm more of doing it with ulterior motives in, in hopes that they're just happy or that they give me something in return and maybe they'll be nice to me. Uh, that's kind of how we love one another. But when we say as Jesus loved me, I'm called to love other people, that means I've got to do it in a selfless manner that has nothing to do with me. But the biggest way that we make a difference in others' lives is... What, is, what was the biggest thing that Jesus did? How did he love us the most? He gave up his life, didn't he? He gave up his life and he surrendered his life so that we could have freedom, that we could have uh, God, that we, that we could be children of God, that we could have eternity and joy and fulfillment. And, and that's the biggest way that he loved us. So that tells me that if that's the biggest way that he loved me, then I am called to love other people by what? proclaiming what I've witnessed of Jesus Christ. Proclaiming it. But that's, that's difficult, isn't it? Isn't it hard to proclaim Jesus Christ to people? The good news? It's hard to tell somebody about Jesus. And I think it's difficult because Christians aren't allowed to share their opinions or views of anything anymore. I feel like our country has gotten to a place where they're like, oh, we've had enough of Christians and what they believe, we want to hear everybody else. And, and so uh, your, your proclaiming is offensive to what I believe or what I want to believe, so you can't talk. And so I think that's, there's, there's this, this struggle because we less, less and less people are confrontational. And I'm not saying confrontational is a bad thing. I'm just saying less uh, people are willing to have hard conversations or even uh, – conversations of opinion of, of, of God, what they believe of Jesus Christ. So you have that element, but you also have this other element that we just don't want to offend, and we just don't want to um, have a, a difference with people. I think that kind of said the same thing. But we, have, we struggle with proclaiming, don't we? But isn't that how we're called to love people the most? Yes. We are. You know, if I am being kind to somebody with all that I am and all of my heart and I'm not telling them about Jesus Christ and I'm not sharing and proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ, I am literally not loving them. That, that's biblical. I'm a resounding gong. I, I, I am nothing. I am just a busybody of, of kindness. That's it. But I am not truly loving them with everything. I'm not loving them as Christ had called me to love them. Because he commanded, he says, you will be my witnesses. You will go out and make disciples. You will proclaim the good news. That is a command of God. And, and we put this to the side and we say, no, we, we're not going to do this. So that, that's what I want to chug through for a minute here 
is how do we proclaim the good news? How do we do this? How do we do this well? How do we do this with love? How do we do this with care? We're called to do it, and we need to get back into the routine and, and get off of summer break and, and get to proclaiming. So what we're going to look at is a story in Acts chapter 8. Go to Acts chapter 8 with me. Verse 26. Acts eight twenty-six. So we're called to be witnesses. We're called to make a difference. And the way that we're called to make a difference and the way that we're called to be witnesses is to love other people by proclaiming the good news. Well, how do I do that? I mean, it's important, right? Acts 8, verse 26. Before I read this, before we, before we talk about this, this story, I want to give you a little background in Acts. What's happened in Acts? At the beginning of the book of Acts, you have uh, the Holy Spirit coming upon the disciples. Not only the disciples, but everybody that was in this room of this house. They, it says that the Holy Spirit came upon them like tongues of fire. Okay, the Holy Spirit filled these individuals, and they began to, to speak and to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. And it actually says that they were speaking in other languages. And what's phenomenal about this moment, this was, the, this was a festival, this was a Pentecost moment. We call it Pentecost of when the Holy Spirit came, but this was also uh, a Pentecost um, Jewish uh, time in, in the year. Meaning that everybody from all over the world that was Jewish would come into Jerusalem and spend a period of time, and they would they would have this massive festival. And so all of a sudden, just get louder. I'll, I can hear this horn. Wow, we're having some crazy weather, right? But in this moment, every single person from every different part of the world heard the message of Jesus Christ in their own language. And Peter gets up, and he gives this profound gospel presentation of all of Jesus coming as a sinless uh, human being, 100% God, 100% man, and then he was killed upon a cross, and then he comes back to life, and he, he offers forgiveness and grace and mercy and salvation, all of these things. And thousands of people in Jerusalem at this moment give their lives to Jesus Christ. It says that they were cut to the heart, that they desired to do um, what Jesus called them to do and to seek forgiveness of their sins and live for him. And that's how the church was born in Acts. That's how the church of God was born. And then from there you have Acts chapter 2 where it says that they, they every Sunday they had a church service where they heard the disciples talk about Jesus. And then during the week they would spend time in people's homes and they would have meals together and they would have life and community together. And they would give generously to all who, had, uh, who were in need and people were being added to their number daily. It was a phenomenal, phenomenal thing. Well, this in Acts 1 says that you will be my disciples who will take the message of Jesus Christ to Jerusalem, to Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, right? So the message didn't need to just stay in Jerusalem. Even though things were going amazing there, it needed to go out. And then you have this man named Stephen that shows up on the scene. And Stephen was a fiery individual. He knew the Old Testament like crazy. His job in the church at the moment was to care for the orphans and widows. Really cool role that he had. Well, the Pharisees and the, the, the teachers of the law that didn't believe in Jesus Christ, they didn't like Stephen at all. And they said, we, we want to accuse him of blaspheme, meaning saying things against God. And so they actually send um, Stephen to court, and Stephen just shows him up. 
goes through the Old Testament proving that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that he exists. And they were whitewashed tombs and they were, they were um, horrible. They were just sinful human beings and they needed to believe in Jesus Christ. Well, they were so angry, they took Stephen out and they stoned him. They killed him. This began the persecution of the church where all of a sudden these thousands of people that were the church started fleeing for their lives. And a man named Paul, well, Saul at the time, he was in charge of persecuting the, the Christ followers. And he begins to throw them in jail or killing them, stoning them, stuff like that. Well, then you have a guy named Philip that shows up on the scene. That's who, who we're going to talk about. Philip, he wasn't, one, he wasn't the disciple Philip. He was a man who also was a partner with Stephen helping the Ordo... Uh, the orphans and widows. I kind of combined those two words in for a second. Orphans and widows. And he begins uh, to trek off to Samaria. You know what Samaria? Samaritans. Have you ever heard that term? Mm -hmm. Samaritans. They were half-bloods. Half Jew, half something else. That's who these, these people were. The Jews hated the Samaritans. They, they felt like Samaritans had no right to know who God was because they were only half Jew. But Philip took this you will be my witnesses to the rest of the world to heart and he goes to samaria and he, he begins to proclaim like like we're called to do proclaim over and over and over and all these people in samaria come to know jesus christ it's this massive revival it's a big party moment celebration moment everybody's giving their lives to jesus and then all of a sudden something happens with phil let's look at it. verse 26 says this now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road. He says, go. He doesn't say stay. He doesn't say be in this moment of revival, be in this moment of celebration, be in this moment of what God is doing in this massive church in Samaria. Go, leave. Go south to the road, the desert road. I love that it emphasizes the desert road. That sounds like a miserable, would you want to go to the desert road? What if I said, hey, you have the best job in the world, best neighborhood in the world, best school for your kids in the world, best friends, best everything. Well, uh, ditch it, leave it, and go that way. Uh, not just that way. Don't take like the freeway. Take Route 66, Desert Road, in between many towns, uh, not where there's a gas station. Go to that place. Most of us would be like... Uh, I must be hearing wrong. This is not possible. I'm not going to go to that road. That goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he goes. Philip goes. He leaves. And I think that's the first thing that we need to understand when we look at this. When it comes to proclaiming the good news, we usually ask the question, where? Don't we? Where do I? Where do I? If I'm called to proclaim, where do I go? Where do I? Is this the location that you want me to go? And 99% of the time, we, um, we're called to go to places that we would never actually expect. We go to desert roads. We go to desert places. We go to, to the unknown places and the, the uncommon places and the uncomfortable places. But in our minds, most of the time when we hear this, we would be in this moment where we're like, uh, I did not hear right. Not, God must not be saying that because if I'm going to call to go, well, you know what? I want, I want to go that way over there because that place, that has a really cool neighborhood. The parks are great. The pools are great. The HOA is cheap and they actually are nice and they let me put things in my backyard. That's the place I want to go. 
That, that, that's the neighborhood. Or, you know what, I want to go to this city because this city has a lot happening. There's a lot of growth, a lot of amazing, amazing things. Or I want to go over there because that's, that place is a cool job for me. And there's a church over there that I've heard great and amazing things about. I want to go be a part of that community. That, that's where I want to go. Don't we get, like, picky of where we're supposed to go? Phil could have easily said, I'm going to stay. Um, I don't want to go. I'm going to stay because this is where it's all happening. And a lot of the times we, we get into that mode and we're like, no, no, no. Um, somewhere where you want me to go better be comfortable. It better be nice. It better be easy. I had a friend named Mosier. Mosier, um, he's a helicopter pilot in the Air Force. And he's been, uh, he's a lifer. He's 20 plus year kind of a guy. Um, he's been in probably for about 15 years now. Well, he, uh, he told me one time that no matter where he goes, right at the end of when he's supposed to leave, they always ask him, where are your top three locations you want to go? Give us your top three. And if he's overseas or on, he's, he's uh, doing a tour or whatever, he's like, well, these top three places are most likely where I'm supposed to go or where I can go. And it's, he has better odds of getting his top three choices of bases if he's on tour or stationed overseas. Like he was stationed in Japan, and he's like, man, I have a better odd of getting my top three because I'm overseas and not in the States. Well, he told me this. He's like, you know, no matter what top three I give, I always end up in Albuquerque, New Mexico. <laughs> I'm not lying. He hates Albuquerque, New Mexico. I have nothing against Albuquerque, but where the Air Force base is in Albuquerque, New Mexico, isn't a very nice place. It's just not. It's, it's kind of dirty and run down. And he hates it there. He doesn't want to be there. He's from California, loved living in Arizona. But Albuquerque, New Mexico, of all the bases, all the choices, that's where he goes. And it's never in his top three. But I think that we give God our top three all the time and say, God, it's got to be the number one. Okay, if it's not the number one, give, it, give number two. If it's not number two, number three. And we... We say, I will proclaim if it's in my top three. But I think we're looking at this all wrong, actually. I think we are. Because in a lot of ways, we think maybe it's a specific place. And sometimes it is. Sometimes God calls you to a specific place. Like for me, God called me to Ohio for five and a half years. I would never in my right mind. I told God like five years before I went, God, I never want to go to the Midwest. It is boring there. And I, my only experience of the Midwest was like Missouri, Kansas, driving through, and it's flat and farm fields. I'm a city West Coast guy, and I'm like, God, I can't go there. And he sends me there. And so it can be a specific place. But here's what I want you to know. I think we're looking at this wrong because we're looking for a somewhere when really it's an everywhere. Does that make sense? Everywhere. Not a somewhere, but an everywhere. There's moments it is somewhere. But it's an everywhere location. Do you proclaim God? Do you have the mindset to say, God, show me the opportunity everywhere I go to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ? It's in everywhere. We don't really look at that, do we? Do we really think about it and, and pray and say, God, I'm about to go into this room with a bunch of people. Um, use me. Use me in that moment. With those coworkers, use me. With those friends, use me. With those neighbors, use me. Who knows what it could be? You, you have no clue. You could easily get a phone call um, at a random moment in the day from a friend who desperately needs you to proclaim and you don't. 
Or it could be somebody at the pool. You could go to a community pool and sit down to somebody, uh, and in your in your mind, you're just like, I just want to relax and spend time with my kids at my community pool, and I don't want to talk to this individual. And, and you might just cordially say hi, and they say hi back, but you have no clue. They might want to give up their life. Yes. Mm-hmm. They might. It could be somebody in a grocery store. Or it could be the moment of, have you ever thought about taking your Bible and spending time with God in a coffee shop? It's amazing what can happen. Who knows when you just open up the Bible, spend time with God yourself, who's watching you? And I'm not saying do it for other people. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying um, there's amazing things that can happen if, if you begin to allow yourself, your light to actually shine. Don't dim your light bulb. Don't dim that sucker. Let it shine. Let it proclaim. I was in BlackRock in uh, Goodyear a couple months ago, and I took my Bible, and I just opened it up, and I just wanted some time with God myself, and I needed to write a sermon, but I was like, I just want to read right now. And this guy that I was sitting by, and I was hoping he didn't talk to me, which was bad. I shouldn't have done that. But I was hoping he didn't talk to me. He looked like he was stoned. I'm pretty sure he was. But he looks over at me and says, are you a priest? <laughs> I'm like, do I look like a priest? I guess, sure. Um, and I'm like, well, I'm not a priest, but I'm a pastor. He's like, oh, you look like it. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. I really don't. Um, but then him and I struck up this conversation about God. And I could have easily just blown it off. And I could have easily said, well, just tell me your name and that's it. And go on your way. But I ended up engaging in this guy. And I realized that I needed to speak an opportunity into this man. I need to, to proclaim God. And even though he doesn't believe in God. And he believes in a lot of like Mother Earth kind of stuff. And he follows a lot of Native American belief. He was searching. And he actually was telling me that his daughter's been asking about Jesus. And his daughter's been asking about God. His little elementary school daughter. And he's like, man, I really, I just need to take her to church. It's actually phenomenal how many people I run into that say, well, I'm not about God, but my kids, I really want to go to church because of them. That blows me away. I'm like, "Ah." so you're going to be hypocritical in your house? You're not going to follow God, but you're hoping they do? Well, it's good morals and values. Yes, it is. But what's amazing, though, is God uses those kids to get their parents into church, and then their parents experience Jesus Christ, and it's a phenomenal thing to watch about somebody giving their lives and, and following God. But my whole point is the, it's the opportunity. Are you looking for opportunities everywhere you go? Are you looking for opportunities to say, man, I just need to pray for that person right there. Or I need to listen to that person's story. Or I need to just tell them, hey, um, I got a friend that, they, that you should get to know. I don't have all the answers. But my whole point is everywhere we need to be proclaiming. That's the first part of Phil's life, this story, right? And then it continues. Go to the next, please. Micah? Oh, there you go. You did. <laughs> it's when I turned. You, you switched it. So, wait. Go back. There go you back. go. So he started out on his way. He met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, which means queen of the Ethiopians. They called all their queens Candace. That was... The, the generalized name like Pharaoh. So he started out, okay? Who did he meet? Met an Ethiopian eunuch. So if we're supposed to proclaim God everywhere, Jesus everywhere, tell people the good news everywhere, then that would mean that the good news is for who? Everyone. Bingo. Everyone. 
everyone. Um, why do we discriminate and why do we segregate and why do we uh, get picky and choose who's allowed to know Jesus Christ or not? We do. We say, oh, it's, it's got to be my close friends and, and my family members. And you know what? It's probably for the influencer and the athlete and the rich and the smart and the intellectual and the ones who are in good health. That, that's who um, Jesus Christ must be for. But we don't think about the outcast and, and the ones that are hard to love and the difficult ones and the ones that seem weird to us and the addicts. We don't think Jesus is for them ever. But he really truly is. He really is. This Ethiopian eunuch. Have you really thought about this for, an, for a minute? Let's just start with Ethiopian. He's from Ethiopia. <laughs> Duh. <laughs> is he Jew? No. Is he from Jerusalem? No. This dude traveled, um, 20, I wrote down, 2,500 miles. 2,500 miles for months to get to Jerusalem for this, this moment of Pentecost. And that means he took months to go back, which is crazy to me that this queen said to uh, her treasurer, this guy, that you're allowed to leave for months. That shows the hand of God in this moment. But he wasn't, he was an outcast. He was, he was somebody who wasn't even probably allowed in the temple, really allowed in the Jewish society. And Philip, in all of his views and all of his beliefs and all of his background and environment, he kind of comes into the situation feeling like, I have nothing of relatable uh, information with this man. But I'm, but I'm called to go to him? And then you got the eunuch side of things. That means he's castrated. That means his male parts are gone. It could be pieces or whole. They did a lot of crazy things with slaves. Why did they do that to slaves? Well, they did that so that they wouldn't take over the kingdom. That's really the truth, that they wouldn't um, sleep with the queen or sleep with the concubines or sleep with anybody of royalty in hopes that, um, it, that they wouldn't even have a desire for that. Well, they, and they couldn't have any desire for that and they wouldn't have children and if they didn't have children then they wouldn't take over the kingdom and have a lineage that would um, thrive in the kingdom so eunuchs in this time period were seen as less than they were absolutely nothing he was a slave he was uh, castrated he was not even that he wasn't male wasn't human he wasn't anything he was just a physical uh just presence there breathing that's essentially what they they thought of this eunuch this moment of time and he, he wasn't even like i said he wasn't allowed in the temple he wasn't he wasn't allowed to worship god he wasn't allowed to be around people he'd be bad just like the lepers that's who this man was but he goes to him and I think about this. First Timothy 1.15 says this. Show First Timothy. I think I have it. Trustworthy saying. Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus, came into the world to save sinners. Does it say some sinners? Specific sinners? Jewish sinners? Smart sinners? Rich sinners? Because the Jews thought it was only for the rich people. And we, in a way, think that it's only for the celebrity in our culture. But it says sinners. That tells me that it's for everyone. We are all screwed up. We are all sinners. We are all messed up. We all have black, disgusting hearts that ooze with just filth. We all need Jesus Christ to come. And like, I think about like the, the, um, 
the Dawn dish soap commercials, when we had those oil spills, and you'd watch these these um, people take the Dawn dish soap and they would just scrub the ducks, and all of this ooze would just come off, and then you'd see this beautiful, beautiful duck of, of vibrant color and um, just beauty. All of a sudden had the freedom that was cleaned off, pulled out of the gunk, pulled out of the mire and the mud and the junk, and just free to live again. That's us. For everyone. It's for everyone. For all people. So he comes to this eunuch. Let's show the next one. So if, if it's everywhere, everyone, Acts 8.30 says this. Maybe. I'll read it for you. I got it. I got you. I got you. This man had gone to Jerusalem. Whoa. Whoa. And Philip ran up. Philip ran up to the chariot. Heard the man reading Isaiah. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I? Unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to sit with him. Um, there's something. Thinking about how. How did Philip do it? Did he run up to the chariot, pull himself in without even being asked? And did he just talk and 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 say, I know about Jesus Christ. Let me tell you about Jesus Christ. This is who he can, um, this is how he can heal you. This is what he can do for you. This is how you can live your life. This is salvation. This is forgiveness. This is mercy and grace. Is that how Philip went about it? Don't we do that? Christians do that. We get bullhorn mentality. We get this, this bullhorn idea that I'm going to stand up here and I'm just going to shout at you and yell at you. And sometimes I'll say, hey, you're messed up and you're a sinner and you need to get your, your life right. And then sometimes we just do it in a subtle way and we don't really yell at them and we don't really like tell them they're sinners. But we say, hey, Jesus can do this. Jesus can do that. Jesus can do this. Jesus can do that. And we just talk and talk and talk and talk and talk. Does Philip do that? Ran up. Well, go back. Go back one verse. The, the Spirit told Philip, that bottom line, go to that chariot and stay near it. Does he tell Philip to talk? No. no. He says, Philip, just, just go stand by that chariot. And then the next part, where Philip heard what the man was reading, heard it, really experienced this Ethiopian eunuch reading the book of Isaiah, and he heard frustration, and he heard sadness, and he heard confusion. He heard this in the man's voice as this man is reading the book of Isaiah. And I don't think it's a coincidence that this man out of 66 chapters of Isaiah turns to the very moment where Jesus is being uh, talked about as a lamb going to slaughter. And he, he didn't open his mouth and he was innocent and he was pure and he was right. And the lamb of God is, is alive, right? And that's the section that he turns to, but it confuses him and he doesn't understand it because he doesn't know how it relates to his current Ethiopian eunuch life. He doesn't. But Phil, maybe he didn't even know this man was a eunuch at first. 
He knew that he, he looked and talked and acted differently, but maybe he didn't even know he was a eunuch. So Philip needed a moment where he just needed to pause and hear what the man was going through. So when you proclaim about Jesus Christ, do you listen first or do you talk first? You gotta listen. You gotta listen. You gotta understand the person and what they're going through and who they are. I remember there was a student once, I, I spoke at a Christian club at a high school in uh, Peoria or Glendale. And I remember afterwards there was a student sitting by himself in the courtyard. And, and I go out there and he was bawling his eyes out, bawling. And I had no clue what, what was going on with this kid. And there was a part of me that just wanted to talk and say, oh, everything is going to be okay. Uh, it's going to be all right. Let's just get back in there. There's a part of me. I'm the, the, the nature person where I just want everybody to be happy. I don't like to face emotion. That's just me. I always want to live in happy land. That, that's, and I want you to live in happy land. If you're a downer, if you're sad, I don't want you at the party. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but I want you to be happy. And I could have easily taken this kid and said, hey, let's just go inside. Everything's going to be okay. You have friends. It's okay. Life is good. But I heard the voice speak to me, God speak to me, the Holy Spirit speak to me and say, hey, by the way, just sit there. Listen to him for a minute. Listen. And he was crying because he had a porn addiction he couldn't break. And he felt like it was a chain around his neck just choking him out. And if I didn't take the moment to listen, I would have never known what he was struggling with. And I would have never known how to interact with him appropriately. See, God put me there specifically because I had an addiction like that at a point in my life. So I had experience and I had knowledge and I had opportunity to say, this is how God freed me. This is what God can offer. God can help with self-control. God can help with power. God can help with strength. God can help with boundaries. God can help with putting people in your life that can walk you through that where you don't feel alone and you don't want to give up on life. That's what that kid needed. That The Ethiopian eunuch needed to have a conversation after Phil listened to his heart. That's the deal. We're all called to proclaim. We're all called to be witnesses. We, we are witnesses. As witnesses, we are all called to tell the good news of Jesus Christ. Not to just hold it all in just for ourselves and our family members and our close friends. We're called to go everywhere. We're called to be about everyone. And we are called to listen first. Listen. Good luck if you try to talk first. It's not going to work. But you got to listen. Let me pray.